through Ephesians chapter 3, well, we certainly thank all of our service men and women for your sacrifice and duty. We salute you today. What a joy it is to be in your presence, to be with you today. Ephesians chapter 3, we're continuing a series that we've just simply called uh, I Am. And last night we had an incredible celebration uh, at Veterans Park. We had a little weather wrinkle, uh, but we still had a fantastic time. And uh, I'd just like to quickly uh, thank all of you who came out to serve. Uh, somewhere just under 200 uh, of you came out and served last night and just made such an impact on our city. And if you were one of the ones that served uh, yesterday at any point from about 7 or 8 in the morning till uh, late last night, would you just lift your hand and, and just raise your hand for a second? Would you give them a great big hand and thank them for their service? Thank you so much. Really thank you for taking on the servant's role and touching our city. Ephesians 3, uh, I have a pastor friend who was on an airplane several years ago and he was sitting next to another man he didn't know and you know how all these uh, airplane conversations go. You meet strangers and have a long flight and during the course of that flight, um, he, the, the other guy revealed that he was, a, he was a pastor and he was talking to my friend he said, uh, you know, what, what do you do? And as it turns out, he was a pastor too and he said, what kind of pastor are you? And he told him he was kind of the background he had and, you know, he was, he was Pentecostal and he was from a, a spirit-filled church. And he said, oh, he was from a very kind of fundamental part of Christianity. He said, you're not one of those guys that believes that God speaks to people, are you? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm, I'm one of those people that believes that God still speaks. And so he just started kind of hounding him and asking him questions and pressing him. He said, now look, let's don't, let's just enjoy the flight. We don't have to do all this. And finally he pressed him. So my friend, he looked over at him. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, do you believe you're called to ministry? He said, yes. He said, who called you? So the key question, that is a key question, who called you? Or maybe for our purpose this morning, do you know what you're called to do? Do you know, do you know your role in the kingdom? We started the first Sunday of June in this summer series called I Am. It's a study of the book of Ephesians. And what we've been talking about, we've been talking about who, who God says that we are. What is our identity? When, when you became a Christian, when you left your old life and you came into your new life in Christ, you had a fundamental identity change. And so much of the Christian life is unpacking that new identity, coming to deeper realizations about who you are now. And so the entire book of Ephesians addresses that issue. That's why we've called this series, I Am. And every week in each part of the book, we're discovering who God says we are. So we talked about in the first chapter of Ephesians, I am blessed. I am victorious. Come on, would you just say those with me? I am blessed. blessed. Alright, I am victorious. I am am alive. I am am reconciled. reconciled. Are those good confessions? They're good for your soul. Today, I am called. Say that with me. I am called. called. Ephesians 3, 1-13. I want to do something I don't normally do. 
I want to read a, a, a pretty long stretch of Scripture. In Ephesians 3, 1-13, I want us to see what Paul the Apostle is writing in the book of Ephesians and what he's saying about his own calling. So if you follow along with me, I'll make a few comments just to help us understand. So Paul says in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 1, For this reason, and this is my purpose, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Okay, so what's Paul's calling? Paul's calling has become the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul's in jail, and he wrote this book from prison, And he's in prison because he's a Christian. And he's spreading Christianity too much. And the government doesn't like it. And the government has imprisoned him. So you can lock the man in the jail, but you can't keep him from writing. So he keeps writing. And this is the letter he's writing. He's saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. So my calling is the Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Okay, so now, this thing gets a little uh, mystical here. Paul's had a revelation to him. He's had a mystical, spiritual revelation. Look at verse 4. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. In other words, God has revealed some things to me for the purpose of me revealing them to you. That's that's all he's saying. It doesn't have to be more mystical than that. Verse 5. Which was not made known to people in other generations as it is now being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So people who had lived before Paul's time didn't know this. They didn't get this. They didn't understand this. This was brand new and it was being revealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. What is the mystery? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. In other words, the mystery is that although God picked the Jews to be His people, His original intention from the beginning was that everybody might come to faith in God through Christ Jesus. And now that mystery is being revealed now that Jesus died and is rose from the dead. So here's Paul explaining again, here's my role. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. If you remember Paul's story, he was a persecutor of Christians. And he met Jesus by revelation on the Damascus Road. He was struck blind for three days by God's judgment, redemptive judgment. And then he became an apostle. He became a, a, because of God's power. Although I'm less than the least of all these Lord's people, this grace was given me What's his purpose? To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So in other words, the whole wing of the church that operates off hidden revelation and hidden mystery is off track spiritually. God's intention was that any revelation that was from his throne room to us might be made known plain. So that the widest group of people might be connected to redemptive grace and faith in Christ. Does that make sense? We're doing a lot of theology right up front. Hang with me. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10. If you've got a pen or you're highlighting something on your smartphone. 
jam into verse 10. This is a key verse. Some commentators even say this is the key verse of the entire book of Ephesians. It's at least the key verse of this chapter. His intent, God's intent, was that now, at that moment, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Everybody can come with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Alright now, if you've got something to write with, let me just give you three, three thoughts from Paul's calling. They're going to be very simple and we're going to move fast. Here's the first one. Paul was called. <laughs> it's not a no-brainer, is it? Shazam. Surprise. He said in this stretch, he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. He was a servant of the gospel. He was called to preach the, to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. He was to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Now, I'm going to show you how this applies to us in a minute. Paul was not called to the entire world. Paul was called to the Gentiles. He had a specific call. He had a specific purpose. And so do you. And so do I. And he was called to be an apostle to share the gospel with everybody who wasn't a Jew, all the non-Jews. All right. So Paul had a specific call. Here's the second thought. You're called. You are called. Paul was called to the Gentiles. Do you know what you're called to? Do you know what your role in the kingdom is? Do you know what part you play in God's divine plan to reach the whole world? You may say, hey, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a musician. I don't know how to do any of those things. But that doesn't mean that you're not called. You're still called. Let me tell you a, a story of a man who I know is here this morning. Some of you know him, some of you don't. I first met Larry and Sherry Walker when we were on a missions trip in 2009 in Honduras. And uh, what happened is there were a hundred, uh, or not a not hundred, there were 125 churches planted in the nation of Honduras. A, a team felt called by God to go across Honduras, which by the way is the murder capital of the world. To go across Honduras and plant churches. Larry Walker felt called to go behind those church plants and build 100 physical buildings to help house that ministry and that church. When I first met him, I didn't know anything about Larry. I'd never met Larry. And one, one night at dinner or lunch or something, Larry shared his story with me. Larry went to Auburn University. He got a degree in, I think, some kind of uh, construction engineer. He had a construction background. His dad worked in construction. He and his wife served in Kenya. They served in Paraguay. They taught evangelism. They, taught, uh, they did a lot of administrative work. And they had worked all their life. And it, it almost seemed like in some ways at times they were working outside their gifting or not completely fulfilling everything God wanted them to do. When I met Larry Walker, he looked me in the eye and he said, Now I know. That's why I work construction with my dad. That's why I got a degree in engineering. That's why we lived in Paraguay. That's why we lived in uh, Kenya. That's why we now live in Honduras. 
I was born to do this. He was called, and I'm telling you, I've known missionaries who could come and and dazzle you with the way they speak and the way that they minister. And that's not Larry's gift. Larry, Larry speaks, he's a good communicator, but that's not his primary deal. But if you ever saw him in the Honduran sun on a rooftop nailing the roof down, you would say, that's what that man was called to do. And now, uh, Larry, how many churches are in Honduras today? 88 churches are in Honduras buildings. That's what he's called to do. That's what he's called to do. You have a specific God-given call, and it might not look like anybody else's. And it might not be traditional. There might not even be a form for it yet. Uh, there was a, uh, a young girl in our uh, youth group when we were in Florida, and last week she uh, gave me a little note. Maybe you'll understand this if you're a little more savvy at Facebook than I am. She said, would you please like our youth ministry? You know, you kind of like their new youth. They just moved to another place in Florida. She and her husband, Charlie, they actually went to church here for a little while. And underneath those years of ministry, she and her husband found their calling, and now their calling is to teenagers. And I thought, oh, we'll like your little page. Can we like it a bunch? Can we like it a lot? So I was so proud of what she had become and what she did. Some people are called to work with kids. Some are called to be intercessors. Some are called with creativity and uh, uh, art. Man, uh, uh, a month ago we had a series here. And uh, it was about forgiveness. Portraits of forgiveness. And you saw Hannah, if you were here in that time, you saw her paint these beautiful pictures of forgiveness. And that's her, that's one of her gifts. That's one of her, that's something she can do to advance the gospel. And it paints a picture and that's, that inspires us. Some people are organizers, thank God. <laughs> right? Put your shoes in the closet. Some people are doers. And thank God we don't all just sit around and talk in theory. Some people actually do something. And that's also important. God's calling on your life will have a connection to two realities. This is what Ephesians 3 says. God's calling on your life will have a connection to two realities. Here's the first one. Look at Ephesians 3.10 with me again. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Here's the first connection your calling will have. It will have a connection to revealing the wisdom of God to the world. Your calling will have a connection to that. Your calling will have something to do with it. Your calling will play some role in revealing the gospel to the world. It doesn't mean you have to be a missionary. It doesn't mean that you're a pastor. It doesn't mean that you're a preacher. It doesn't mean that you speak. It means that your calling will, ins- will have some role inside revealing the wisdom of God to the world. That's what Ephesians 3.10 says. Here's the other thing. Your calling will also be connected to the church. Now, now look with me for a minute in 3.10. His intent was that now, what's, that, what's those next three words say? Through the church. The, this is what you need to get this. I understand institutional loyalty and, and, and uh, uh, loyalty to organizations is at an all-time low, and I understand that. 
But the church is not an organization and it's not a business. It's the family of Jesus. It's a living organism and a spiritual family where Christ is the leader and he decides how things work. And so here's what I need you to understand. His intent was that now what? Through the church. God has chosen to reveal his wisdom through the church. Not through the YMCA. Not through the local sports league. Not through volunteering in, in secular charities. Even though they do much, much good work. It's not about doing good work. It's about revealing the wisdom of God. And Paul said in Ephesians that his intent was that he would reveal the wisdom of God through the church. And so you need to understand your calling is going to have a connection to the revelation of God's wisdom. And it's going to have a connection to the church. So the wisdom of God is made known that way. So your calling has to be somehow connected to the body of Christ in order for it to do what God intended for it to do. Until you make those connections, you've either not found your calling or you've not connected your calling to the purpose that God gave it to you for. So look, how, do, how would you do that? Sitting right here in 2014, at the end of June, in the middle of the summer, how would you make that connection? You can make that connection a couple of ways. One is, find out what your calling is. How would I find that out? Pastor Mark mentioned it last week. We teach a class starting next month, or in August, we call Life Streams. 101, 201, 301, 401. Guess what 301 is all about? The entire 301 class is about helping you find what God called you to do. That's what the whole time is. It's nothing else. How do we help you find what God called you? So we do an assessment. We do all this kind of stuff. Help you find your gifts, your personality, all that. Try that. Here's the other thing. You can go online, kingwoodchurch.com. You can push the button connect and you can connect to a life group. You can push the button 30 serve and you can start serving. You can do a month, an experimental month of serving somewhere and find, well, the best way to find what God called you to do is do something. Right? And you'll know real fast if it's not the right thing because you'll go, I hate this. <laughs> right? And, 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 and you know what? That is God speaking to you saying, run! Stop! That's, so it's real simple. It's not, it's not that hard. I had the privilege of spending some time last week just in uh, leadership coaching. I had, a, I had a couple that sought me out and said, we'd like to talk to you and we don't know why, but we feel like the Holy Spirit keeps prompting us to talk to you. And you're a pastor and we're business people and I don't know why. But let me tell you our story. And I won't tell you the whole story, but... Here's what was fascinating to me. The story started like this. I own my own business. I'm a business guy. We own a plumbing company in Central Florida. We have three offices. All my life, I've been good at business. I mean, everything I've done is done okay. And our business has grown, and it continues to grow. And we actually have a company that's uh, considering buying us out, a national company that wants to buy our local company out, and pay me $2 million to buy our company and keep me working as an employee there. And we don't know what to do. And let me tell you what his dilemma was. Let me tell you what his dilemma was. He said, I'm a pastor's son, um, and 
All my life, I've never felt called to be a pastor. I've never felt called to be a missionary. I've never felt called to be in ministry in any way. But here's what I feel called to do. I feel like God called me, because I'm good at it, to make money and fund ministry. And my dilemma is, the way we're structured right now, I can't do it. But I want to give 20% of everything our business makes away to the church. And, I, and, and I'm stuck. All right, flip on the other side. Let me tell you what church he goes to. Now, you never heard of it. You never heard of it because it's an island. It's not networked with anybody. It doesn't know anybody. I had another meeting with his pastor and his wife later that same week. Let me tell you the story they told me. Oh, their church had a blow-up. The church fell apart. It was never a big church. It was a small church, but it died down through all this drama it had to about 40 people. This guy worked in construction full-time. What? I'm going to show you about how God's calling works. This guy works in construction full-time. And God called him to pastor. Not, not the plumbing guy, another guy. So he starts pastoring the church. The church has 40 people in it. He t- I said, well, tell me about you. How long have you pastored? Nine years. Well, tell me how it's going. I don't know how it's going. I mean, I've never done this before. I've not been trained for ministry. I don't know what I'm doing. And I just want to talk to you and see, well, are we doing the right thing? So well, what happened? He said, well, in nine years, the church has grown from 40 to 400. And 60% of the people in the church are new converts. Well, that's terrible. You should quit. I mean, that's going awful. I would never keep doing that. Really? I looked at him and I said, did you know there are 400,000 churches in America and almost all of them are dying? And the majority, 90% of them that are growing are growing because they're stealing people from other people's churches? And 60% of the people in your church are new converts and you don't know how it's going? I'll tell you how it's going. And God has raised up this businessman who is a buddy of his who says, I'm stuck. I can't do my, my calling. Do you think if God raised that guy up to, to make money and be successful in business and support that church, do you think people would come into the kingdom because of it? That's a calling. Your calling doesn't have to be traditional it doesn't have to be a pastor it doesn't have to be a preacher it doesn't have to be it can be totally out of the box i just came to ask you this question this morning do you know what your calling is because the gospel is being handicapped every time somebody doesn't know what their calling is it's not getting out the way it ought to get out the wisdom of god's not being revealed the way it ought to be revealed What are you passionate about? What will you live and die for? If you won the lottery and never had to work another day in your life, what would you give yourself to? You have to find that out. Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day you find out why. Pretty good, isn't it? Paul was called. You are called. Say that with me. I am called. Yes, you are. Here's the last one. Kingwood Church is called. This church has a calling on it from God. He's called this church. What has he called this church for? I, let, me just, let me just explain it for a minute and then I want to show it to you. And then, we'll, and then we'll wrap up. God's called this church to be multi-generational. In other words, his calling on Kingwood Church is to have people from every generation in it. I mean, I, look, I had friends that went and planted churches, and they said, man, I'm, 
I'm, I'm called to do, you know, to reach the boomers or reach the busters or reach Generation X or Generation Y or whatever. But look, here's the thing. It's not natural to have a generation missing anywhere. Why don't you try having a family reunion like that? With one generation. Let's just have all the grandparents, or let's just have all the grandkids, or let's just have the 40-somethings. Let's just have one slice of the family. And let's see, that's not a family reunion, that's a club that has no depth or future. It's just stuck. The generation that doesn't know it needs the other generations is lost. Our church is called to be multi-generational. Our church is called to be multicultural. So we like to say it like this. We're called to be heaven on earth. I want you to look at um, Ephesians 3 verse 10 with me one more time. There's an interesting phrase, and look, we could do a whole deal on this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Now, if you're a mechanic, you know what a manifold is, right? I only know that it has something to do with the car. That's as far as I got. But manifold means... The, the, it's a poetic term that refers to clothing with an intricate pattern of many colors or many hues and a bouquet of flowers. It is variety or the many-sided wisdom of God. It is revealed in rich diversity. So I want to show you a couple of pictures this morning that will kind of reveal uh, this. This, leave it right there. This is, this is manifold. This is many-sided. This is many patterns. This is many colors. Now go to the next one. Same thing. Look at the beauty. Look at the diversity. Look at the color. Look at how it all works together, but it's all different. That is the many-sided. That's what that Greek word means. That is the many-sided wisdom of God. That is the manifold wisdom of God. God's wisdom has many sides. And in this context, in Ephesians 3, what Paul is saying is, it is what leads a multiracial, multicultural community to be united together. Jews and Gentiles. Paul's saying, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. God called me to reveal the wisdom of God to the Gentiles and to tell them that this isn't for the Jews only, it's for everybody. Now, how would you say that today? God's wisdom is revealed when we share the gospel in a way that we say the gospel's not for white people, it's not for black people, it's not for Asian people, it's not for Hispanic people. The gospel's for everybody. It's not for old people, it's not for young people, it's not for middle-aged people, it's for everybody. That is God's wisdom. This This is a revelation of God's wisdom. I'm going to show you a little more about that in a minute. Here's the last one. Our church is called to be multi-generational, multicultural, and multi-dimensional. What I mean by multi-dimensional is we've got to make room for people in every stage of faith. Our church isn't about people that walk with God 50 years, and our church isn't about people that walk with God one year, or three years, or five. Our church is about everybody. Every stage of faith. So what does that mean? That means that we, our church must continue to passionately pursue spiritual depth. We can't be shallow. We can't give in to the culture that is. We can't let our faith 
skim the surface of the top. So why do we have soak service? Why do we do that? Because we have to be deep. Why do we have prayer teams? Why do we have prayer times? Why do we have intercessory teams? Why do we have live streams? Why do we write devotionals every year? Why have I spent the last three years of my life sitting in a room an hour a week with 12 adults pouring my life into them trying to disciple them? Because we've got to go deep. Why do we emphasize devotions? Why do we train? Why do we meet? Why do we teach? Why do we do retreats? Why do we have grief share? Why do we have celebrate recovery? Why do we have marriage coaching? Why does our teenagers have a discipleship group called Edge? Because we can't just show up on Sunday, lift our hand, check the box, and think that's all there is. We've got to be deep. Jesus calls us deep. We're called to be multi-dimensional. Okay, now here's the other side. However, we're also called to reach out. So why do we do Celebrate America? Why do we do Scrooge? Why do we have a big Easter blowout? Why do we have a picnic coming this fall? Why do we do trunk or treat? Why do we have water baptism? Why do we keep starting new life groups? Every time you turn around, if you've been here a while, your head's probably dizzy because we keep starting new ones. Why do we keep doing that? Why do we have events? Why do we have first step? Every month we have a newcomer's class. Why do we welcome guests every service? Why do we have a, a redesign our foyer? Why do we have a new website? Why do we do mail-outs? Why do we just spend two weeks, uh, two weeks ago in Arkansas working at an orphanage? Why do, why do we go to the ends of the earth? Why do we support missionaries? Why do we have missionaries come here and we stand and hear their story and we support them and pray for them and send them to the end of the world? Because we have to keep reaching out. Everybody who needs to be in the kingdom's not there yet. So we can't get satisfied or happy or, or passive, passive or, or somehow create a theology that excludes people that aren't in faith yet. We have to be multi-dimensional. Now, what does that look like? I'll show you what it looks like. Verse 10, I'm going to ask all our folks that we've already got you ready early, if you'll go ahead and come on this side of the room. We've got some people I'm going to introduce you to this morning. This is going to be fun. You're going to see a tangible revelation of God's glory. His intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come too. You guys go ahead and join us. And we're, and we're going to wrap up in just a minute. Here's what I want to show you. Inside Kingwood Church, we are multi-generational. We are multicultural. And we are multidimensional. And I want, I want to show you that this morning in a neat way. All right, go ahead. You guys come on out. We'll let them keep coming. Come on here. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait for everybody. Come on up here in the light. I want everybody to be able to see you. Come on up here. Yes, I'll put you in the spotlight. That's right. This family is multi-generational in their faith. And I just want to, uh, is this everybody? We good? Okay. Who, who's going to introduce your family? You, you got it. Go ahead and introduce. Well, first of all, I asked Brother Ron when we came in how long he'd been here. So I'd know how long I've been here. 
Our family has been here 35, 39 years. And this is my wife, Osi. My granddaughter, Beth. My great-granddaughter, Peyton and Cadence. My son-in-law, grandson-in-law, I guess you'd call him, Ben. My son, Mike, and his wife, Anita. And we are the Hardens. These are four generations. Come on, give them a big hand. Go ahead, just uh, give them a big hand. Come on. It's multiple generations. Come on, come on up here in the light. Come on up here. Did y'all elect a speaker? <laughs> That'd be you. Okay. Come on, everybody. Come on up. Come on up. Here's another multi-generational family. Go ahead. I'm Kathy Green. Uh, these are my parents, Alan and Resty Hawkins. We came to Kingwood in 1964. This is my husband, Doug. We were married here in 1981. Our son, Ben, his wife, Heather, uh, their son, Tucker, our daughter, Amy, her husband, Chris, their children, Brody and Ellie. Incredible. Give them a hand. Multi-generational. Go ahead. All right. Uh, our next group, come on. Okay. This next group now is multicultural. So everybody's going to come through and introduce themselves and tell you where they're from. And you'll be shocked right here in down home Alabama where all the people of the world come from. Come on. My name is Lam and I'm from Vietnam. And this is my daughter. I'm Autumn and I'm from Kazakhstan. Wait, wait. So where are you? Where's that? Kazakhstan? Oh, yes. Wow. Awesome. Vietnam? Go ahead. I'm Sylvia and I'm from Mexico. Mexico? Carlos Blackwood, Panama City, Panama. Come on up here. Come on. Y'all come on up here. The train's starting to wilt on us. Come on up here. There you go. Go ahead. Kevin and Tracy Hall. We're from here, Alabama, but uh, Graham is from Maoming, China. Maoming, China. My name is Angel Purvis. I'm from Brazil. Brazil. And Sedma Cardenas, I'm from Costa Rica. Costa Rica. I'm Jesse Mokajumba, and I'm from Tanzania. Tanzania. I'm Aleida, and I'm from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Both, yeah. Balaji Kukoyi, I'm from Nigeria. Wait, wait, go ahead. Where are you from? <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from America. No, no, no. <laughs> What, what state? I'm from Alabama. We like people from Alabama too. Woo! Good job. I am Mariela. I'm from El Salvador. El Salvador. Hello, my name is Milton. I am from Guatemala. Guatemala. Come on. Isn't this fun? Oh, just wait. Just wait. Now, this last group is what we're going to call multi-dimensional, okay? Because these folks have all had different uh, amounts of time that they've walked in faith with Christ. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and they'll tell you how long ago they found Christ here. Here at this church all my life, I've dedicated my life when I was a teenager, so I've been at this church and saved over 50 years. 50 years. I'm Jack Lawley. This is my wife, Susie. We have been here 
a little over 39 years and through this church we have a son and a grandson in the ministry today son and a grandson in the ministry 39 years is this still long yeah all right i'm ray griffith and this is my wife pam we've been in this church for over 35 years 35 years we're james and betty brown and we've been members of this church for 50 years 50 years wow Hi, I'm Jennifer, and I started coming to Ethic nine years ago, and I got saved eight years ago. Got saved eight years ago. Roll five-dimensional. Isn't that cool? Michael Kreska, my wife Allison, daughter Erwin. Austin's out in the audience. We've been at the church for about three and a half years now. You've been saved three and a half years. Yep. Go Steelers. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. All right. You're not supposed to say anything, are you? Okay, I just wondered. You look huddled over there. I wasn't sure if I forgot anybody. All right. All right. Here's what I want to do. We're going to sing this song, I am all that he says that I am. But here's what I want to show you. Verse 10. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church... The manifold, many-sided wisdom of God should be, be made known to the rulers and authorities. Through the church, manifold wisdom revealed to who? This is important. To the authorities and powers in the heavenly realms. When you and I come together in the unity of the Spirit and we walk in agreement, when diversity is resolved at the point of Christ... The wisdom of God is revealed and it is a tangible reminder to the forces of darkness that their hold has been broken. It is a testimony to the forces of darkness. It is a reminder to Satan that he cannot hinder the gospel, that he cannot keep the Gentiles from being connected to the body of Christ, that he cannot stop the spread of the gospel all over the world no matter how he tries. This diversity is a reminder that God's wisdom is right and Satan's lies are wrong. Now watch this. This is why I'm so intense that we worship together. We don't just sing and we don't just let them sing. But when you, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, from every generation, from every season of faith, when you rise together and you stand and you worship, you are offering a tangible testimony to the forces in the heavenly realm that God is right. You are revealing His wisdom. It is a revelation of His wisdom. So this morning when we worship together, you're not an audience. You are not spectators. You are participants. You play a critical role. When we worship together, we're offering a testimony that God's way is the best way. Now here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to worship together. Here's what I want you to do. I want to ask all, all the generations and cultures, if you just turn and face me. Just turn and face me. In, in just a minute, we're going to blow your hair off. We're going to worship together. And here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to say. And by God's grace, I want you to believe it. I am everything He says I am. And there, I want you to stand with me. And we're going to close this service out. 
and we're, we're going to close it in worship. And what I want you to say when we sing together is I want you to say, I am everything He says that I am. And here's what I want to invite you to do. If your identity in Christ is being challenged, if your identity in Christ is being, you're questioning it, it's confusing to you, it's frustrating to you, you have a need in your life and you're struggling to understand how's this need going to be met, I want you just to step out and slip behind this. You you know Hebrews says there's a, a great cloud of witnesses that go before us. I want you to step out from where you are and step behind them. And I want you just to sing out loud with your mouth, I am everything He says I am. Every need that I have, every desire that I have, every longing that I have, every challenge in my life is resolved at the point of my identity in Jesus. And so I want you just to come and fill in behind them. If that's what you want, you want to do, that you need to take that step, I want you to take that step. Lord, this morning we love you. I thank you for the grace of God that does not disappoint us, that does not leave us, that does not reject us. I thank you today, God, that we are everything you say we are. We have the authority you say that we have. And this morning, Lord, as we join together in worship, this is a testimony to the enemy. This is a testimony to the battle that's going on in the spiritual realm. This is a testimony that your wisdom is right, that your revelation is strong, and it cannot be stopped. So, Lord, today, by authority, you you said in Ephesians 3, we can come with freedom and confidence. So this morning, we come unhindered. We come in freedom. We come in boldness and confidence to the throne of grace. Lord, let your words sink deep into our soul this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. As we sing this song, I want to ask everybody just to stay through this one song.